At First Commonwealth Bank, we understand that many of today's businesses are facing uncertain times. And that means there's no more important time for having the right financial partner behind you. A partner with the resources and experience to help take care of your business. An SBA preferred lender who can see what others may not and do what others cannot. If you're ready to talk with a financial partner who can help your business today and into the future, there's no better time to talk with us. First Commonwealth Bank, member FDIC. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. We're Hello, live. Everybody. This is Anman Shansabunya. You're um, the king of expatriates, along with my good buddy, the Honorable Jeff. And tonight we're going to be talking about WrestleMania and how we have differing opinions on two of the big matches than pretty much what we've seen as the overall overwhelming opinion in the IWC. But first things two or, first. Two or three. But first things first. Okay. If you like Rhea Ripley and you like, um, and you like Tony Storm and you like uh, Edge and you like uh, Aleister Black... If you like AJ Styles, if you like The Undertaker, even these are all guys that got their start on the independent circuit. Yes, guys. Yes, folks. Even the goddamn Undertaker started as an independent professional wrestler. Goldberg didn't. Who cares? Brock Lesnar didn't. Who cares? Most of the people you see in a, in a WWE ring started on the inter- independent circuit. And so whether you want, you listen to this show because you love indie wrestling like Jeff and I do or you're a WWE fan and you're listening to this as something to do, we welcome you to the show and we really appreciate your patronage and we're glad we're here to give you some entertainment value. But there's also another company out there that's doing what they can to help support independent wrestling in this time when they can't put shows on. They're called WrestleTalk. Two weeks ago, Jeff, last week Jeff and I covered their No Fans Monday show from about two weeks before that, where they had an actual live MD Arena show, and it was balls out. Jeff and I loved it. But this weekend, on you know, they, they didn't announce it until like two days beforehand, and so or, or Jeff and I probably would have watched that this weekend instead of WrestleMania. But they put together a show called Indie Mania, where they gathered matches from thirteen independent wrestling promotions, and they put together a total of six hours and twenty minutes. Of shows, um, two shows: Indie, Indie Mania Day One, Indie Mania Day Two. I highly um, recommend that you not only watch these shows, of course, but that you also donate to this to the to these shows because um, the um, what you whatever you donate, or if you want to buy a T-shirt, buy a T-shirt. They have a great Indie Mania T-shirt that I bought. It was 19 pounds. For the, for the shirt itself, $4.99 for the shipping, which, which ended up being in, in dollars U.S., I believe $30.43. Um, and, and again, you know, that went to help these independent promotions that can't run shows right now that will then trickle down to their wrestlers as well. Now, the, now the guys on this, on this card are not necessarily indie wrestlers anymore. I mean, Bobby Lashley was on these, was on these matches. Uh, uh, we had Zach oh, Jr. versus I can't Shibata. believe. We I can't have, believe you mentioned his name, by the way. We have Pete Dunn versus... He was also an independent wrestler, too, Jeff. Um, Pete Dunn I get versus, that, but still. Pete Dunn versus Will Ospreay. Um, Rampage was on there. Uh, a, a t- Walter and Low-Key taking on uh, David Starr and Jordan Devlin. I mean, they're really putting some strong matches on here for you. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, even Jeff, I mean, if you believe this, we even got Alicia Edwards versus Chris Statlander. You know, wow. these, I mean, they really put some strong matches on here. Um, and I would really recommend you watch it. You know, if you if you love pro wrestling, even if you just love the WWE, they got most of their guys from independent wrestling. If independent wrestling doesn't survive this, there won't be it. There won't be anybody for WWE to pull people from other than the goddamn NFL. So, you know, um, do what you can to support these organizations. If you can afford to, to send them 30 bucks for a T-shirt, send them 30 bucks. If you can afford to give them five bucks or a dollar, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, watch the show. Give them the money you can. That's all can I'm going to say Can you get it for me? That. Sorry, my toddler's here. Yeah, I probably should have kept talking because Jeff wasn't ready for me to hand it to him. <laughs> he wants he wants cocket milk. Okay. So, um, but no, I I agree, and you know, I don't know where'd you put your cup, huh? <laughs> Did you hear him go? Hmm? No, I didn't. Anyway, and, and and you know, Jeff's Jeff's uh, four year old is interrupting us right now. My twenty three year might end might end up interrupting us tonight because he wants to come over and borrow my pickup truck. So. Oh, so good. I don't know. You're going to have to find it. I don't know where it went. It's right in the driveway. I know where my truck is. <laughs> Not the truck, you ass. <laughs> <laughs> is it in the kitchen? Is it in the living room? Go look in the living room. Go look my in the bed. My truck was in my living room. My, my house would be very cold, right? Alexa, turn on the living room light. He's trying to hunt down his cup so he can have some chocolate milk. Anyway, you know, you know why you know, we're well, well, while I'm talking about indie, indie wrestling, you know, if you guys enjoyed Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins this weekend, um, first of all, I'm not sure why you enjoyed it as much as you did. But Ring of Honor the day before put on put out a Kevin Steen versus Tyler Black, basically no holds barred match from Ring of Honor years ago. So. That was infinitely better than what we saw from Rollins and Owens. So go on. Okay. So while I'm washing his cup here because I found it and it was in not a great place, so I need to disinfect and wash. Um, the uh, Kevin Owens Seth Rollins match was fine for what it was. Um, I hated it, and the main reason I hated it was because don't. Yep, don't touch that. Uh, the main reason I hated it was because Seth Rollins has spent weeks telling us how unstoppable he is at WrestleMania. And the first thing he did was get himself disqualified. To me, that was a joke that really just downplayed both guys' performance to a point that it made it almost unwatchable. From that point forward, I couldn't get into the match. And, and I know it was it was what it was. It was a decent um, no-disqualification match. It had the high spot from Kevin Owens and blah, blah, blah. But after he got himself disqualified, after all the rhetoric we've heard, that, that alone killed that match for me. Yeah, you know, like you were saying, it's you know, technically it's a technically it's a fine match. I mean, there was no there was nothing you know um, wrong with it in terms of what they did. It was it was simply the fact that he said, you know, you know, if you and if you look at his record beforehand, he wasn't far off. I mean, he had only won he had only lost one match ever at WrestleMania, 
And the night he lost that match, he won the world championship. So it wasn't like, you know, he was brag, you know, his bragging had no merit to it. And I don't know, maybe he was so far in his psychosis, he, th- he thought that he wasn't going to get disqualified for hitting Owens with a bell. Who the hell knows? But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that really did, that really was a logic, a logic hole in that match. And then, you know, for, for Owens to challenge him to an ODQ match and then, to, and then for Rollins to end up losing again to him um, really kind of soured it a bit for me as well. To me, it was a, it, it was just, what's the point of a storyline if everything you're going to do in the actual payoff contradicts that storyline? And, and that's literally what him, what Seth getting disqualified did. He spent weeks and weeks and weeks on promos talking about how he's unstoppable at WrestleMania and he's the man and he's going and then gets himself disqualified. Yes, it fits his character. Yes, it fits the heel persona in general. But the fact that he was spouting off about how unstoppable and great he is at WrestleMania to get disqualified really killed everything they worked to up until that point. Since I have really nothing to add to that, I, you know, I, you mentioned Unstoppable at WrestleMania, and you know where I'm going with this. I don't want to hear it. I really uh, don't, because, oh, we might as well get the negative out of the way. Because exactly. that's, that's what I was thinking. You know, the, you know I, I mentioned at the top of the show how there was two big matches, you know, that maybe more than that, that, that Jeff and I disagree with, with um, public sentiment on, and one of them is clearly the Boneyard match between Undertaker um, and... AJ Styles, you know, a match that wasn't a match, um, a match that did not allow AJ Styles to be AJ Styles, a match that didn't even allow the Undertaker to be the Undertaker for God's sake, and yet the um, and yet the the general um, perception of it is it may have been the Undertaker's greatest match ever, which and, and it could have been and it may have been the greatest WrestleMania match ever, which just blows my goddamn mind. I. <sighs> I can't get into that rhetoric. The, the fact that um, this match, yes, was cinematic. It was amazing. It could not have happened at a better WrestleMania because simply it didn't need the crowd or the or, or the announcers. But the fact that this match was solely designed to put, what is he, 55 now? 56, I think. Regardless, he's about 10 years beyond his prime. Yes, he's had a few good matches here and there over the last 10 years, but in all reality, the last great match Undertaker had at WrestleMania was 10 years ago. And this match was designed to make him look like an unstoppable beast. He even dyed his hair back to black and brought back the biker gimmick and everything he could do to make himself look like a badass. AJ and the promos leading up to it were really kind of gearing us towards The Undertaker winning by the fact that he was calling out Michelle McCool and, and, you know, and all that stuff. But in all reality, when you look at this match, the only thing it did was put The Undertaker over. It took away the three things about AJ Styles that make AJ Styles so great. The fact that he's a ring general and can put on a technical masterpiece with anybody. Uh, 
the fact that he uses the ropes and the turnbuckles to such frequency in his matches and just the fact that he is a great storyteller. There was nothing but punching and kicking in this match and the fact that there were a few theatrics to make it a little bit more you know, believable or, I guess, spectacular really angers me that the same thing was done in the Edge versus Christian match or Edge versus um, Randy Orton match and people are shitting all over that. You know, yeah, you, you know, um, you know, AJ Styles in this type of match should not be able to go one on one with the Undertaker. I don't think I don't think anybody could ever question that. If, if it was if it was a street if it was a brawl in a graveyard, Undertaker should always have the advantage over AJ Styles. He's bigger, he's stronger. Even though he is, you know, I think twelve or thirteen years older, if not if not a little bit more than that. I think um, thirteen. He still could probably actually beat AJ Styles in a straight up street fight. Right. But if you add in Carl Anderson and you add in uh, Dark Gallows or Luke Gallows, whatever the hell they call him, um, and then you add in like eight other guys in masks, Undertaker really should be able to win an eleven-on-one fight. Especially he when he, especially when he's already knocked out after being hit, being hit in the back of the neck with a shovel that broke over it, and, and he's in the hole and about to get dirt dumped on him. Right. I mean. And, and that's kind of what this looked like, is like AJ Styles, after Undertaker kind of got distracted, hit him with a gravestone, wrote a shovel over his back, threw him in the grave, sprinkled some dirt on him, and then was about to dump the entire thing of dirt on him. And so AJ, so the man, Undertaker, is defeated. And then somehow the supernatural vampire zombie-like being just magically appears from the dead and just... To- completely wipes the ass of everybody. Kills Carl Anderson, who's still on top of the roof with, ex- with an explosion. Right, right, um, right. Um, and then buries AJ Styles alive. So you know, at least one person is dead thanks to this guy. And, and now two. To, and he's supposed to be in this dark Avenger who um, uses these supernatural powers and burns people alive and buries another person alive is supposed to be our hero. Apparently, I think my least favorite part of the match was the speech by The Undertaker at the end. The fact that he's talking about how AJ earned his respect, gave him the toughest fight of his life, and how he, you know, you've got AJ who is this badass heel who's begging, literally begging for his life and apologizing up one end and down the other. And then you've got Taker with this long out promo. Oh, I, 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 you've given me the best fight of my life, and I will not bury you. I promise I will not bury you alive. And then what does he do? Dumps a bucket load of dirt on him. It, it just, it was, to be honest, it was an embarrassment. Well, the thing is that the Undertaker dumping a dumping a shovel full, or, you know, a, a bucket full of dirt, as you said, over him is not, is is only the second worst thing that happened to AJ Styles that night because Creative dumped, dumped a bucket full of bullshit. Yeah, and they have for weeks, and it's, it's sad because uh, you and I was it well what two weeks ago we were talking about how AJ's the goat. Well, he's up there with Chris Jericho. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, and which is, if you've listened to us, I mean, we've been doing this show, what, now about six years, and if you've listened to us consistently, our goat has changed multiple times, um, but AJ and uh, Jericho have always been in that top ten, and the fact that those are the two, the top two right now is no surprise, but it just, it was so disheartening, and so, I mean... <laughs> I remember I, I actually text you about 20 minutes after it was over in the middle of that Drew, uh, Drew McIntyre spiel that was going on and asked you if WrestleMania was over because I could not not for the life of me believe that they ended it on that pile of crap. Yeah, that was hilarious. Like you texted me, you're like, "How long is this Drew McIntyre promo?" I'm like, "What promo?" <laughs> I thought, I thought for sure there was another match. It was like 20 minutes into this pro, uh, this uh, it was, and uh, it was for those who, wasn't it? Yeah, when they were talking about how his rise and and how he finally got to this moment and everything, and I, I was, I was so sure that that's not how they ended night one that I actually messaged you and said, how long is this promo going to last? Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's been going on 20 minutes already. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we knew that when once, under, once AJ Styles started mentioning The Undertaker's wife by name, he wasn't ever going to win this match. Once but, he mentioned his wife, it didn't even have to be by name. Yeah. Once he actually brought some kind of family member into the situation... And into the uh, promo work, it was done. He was not going to win this match. He, you can't be a heel and bring in the baby faces family and expect to win the match, unless you're Austin Theory and Theory and Evolve. Yeah, and you know, I read people say that you know this, you know that this match, you know, helped them forget things. It took them away from what's going on in the world, and it. And you know what? I, I'm ha- I'm very happy for them that that happened for them. But to me, there was two matches on night two, and almost a third one, and no matches on night one that made me forget about what's going on in the world right now. That made you know, and 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 so I mean, I I I under, I'm happy for those people that that felt that way i just don't get why people would feel that way and maybe and maybe part of it jeff is because you and i are such huge aj, AJ styles fans it's possible you know you know it, you know maybe we are just so biased and so into our feelings that aj styles has you know should be treated a lot better than this and and i'm and i'm still pissed off about um cm punk having a job to undertaker at 29 only for him to lose to fucking brock lesnar a year later that you know i i just can't Ever, I'm never going to be satisfied unless Undertaker loses to somebody I give a shit about on the biggest stage. Um, and and you know, it's, I don't. I think, that, I think that ship is now sailed. For, honestly, yeah. And to be honest, it it was. I think the year before CM Punk, and I can't remember who it was. Was it Edge? No. No, the year before CM Punk was against it was Triple H. He wrestled Edge at 24. When we're going. It, CM Punk wasn't. CM Punk was what six years ago now. Yes, it was seven. It was at twenty nine. Okay, and then you had uh, you had uh, Triple H before that, and Triple H before that again. Shawn Michaels before that. Shawn Michaels again, and then Edge. I think the last time I legitimately cared about well, no, nah, I take that back. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But outside of the Shane McMahon match, which 
at the point I was kind of all into because I wanted to see where that story went. But outside of that, the last time I cared about about Undertaker was probably the Shawn Michaels matches. Yeah, definitely for me. It, it just, the Triple H at that time both were semi-retired. You're hungry? How can you be hungry? You're hungry because I'm on the radio, aren't you? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. What do you want? Food, obviously. <laughs> well, stop. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You no, know, Jeff's right. I mean, I mean, you know, Jeff, uh, Jeff is completely right about that. Like, you know, the under, Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels is to me up there in the top in the in the top two conversation for the best WrestleMania match of all time. And, and I you know, it's, it's think right there, to it's right be honest, Steve Austin and Bret Hart to me. And and then the year after that, they had another great match. I mean, I didn't like as much as I liked twenty five, but. Of course, Plan would argue that to argue to the death that that twenty six was was better than twenty five, but um, but you know, I mean, that, that was still the last time I cared was really when Sean Sean's career was on the line and Undertaker at, at twenty six. I think um, as far as Undertaker matches go, my two or WrestleMania matches and maybe the greatest two matches of all time, you've got Brett versus uh, Austin, and then. Taker versus Michaels, that second one. I personally like the second one better simply because they um, there was more on the line with the retirement versus the streak than the first one. So I like that a little bit more. But I can see where people are coming from liking the other one better. Yeah, I, I think I think that if we look at the course of um, WrestleMania history, yes. there were really two matches that defined how an epic match was going to be for years going forward. One of them was Randy Savage versus the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 7, which gets my vote at being the third WrestleMania, greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Really? Ahead of... Uh... But, the, but the second one was at WrestleMania 25 with Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. You put that ahead of the... Um, uh, really? My kid's giggling because he got candy. Ahead of what? Ahead of uh, Austin versus my or versus Michael. Or, I'm sorry, Austin versus Hart. No, I said that my the top two in some order are Michaels versus Undertaker at 25 okay. and Austin versus Hart at WrestleMania 13. Okay, but, yeah. But but it's number three to me is Warrior versus Savage at WrestleMania seven. I would still and, say and, three. And, that, and that's where the entire story from Royal Rumble through the end of that where where Macho Man proposes to Liz. I mean Alright, when you put the story into it, I can't disagree with that. And the announcers, Sherry Martell's performance, Elizabeth's performance, um the 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 only time ever that the Ultimate Warrior has has walked down to the ring with intensity, not running and charging at the ropes, but walking very slowly and somberly, knowing his career is on the line. I mean, that is really, it's in you know, it's set like I said. I think I think it set the way epic WWE matches would be for years to come. Yeah, and I can't disagree with that. I'm still partial. And it might be because I was such a long-time Savage fan by this point. But the WrestleMania 5 match with DiBiase and Savage. I, That's four. Even, 
or rest, yeah, four with DiBiase and Savage. That main event to me was still one of the top three or four of all time. But I think a lot of that had to do more with my love for Savage and the fact that he finally got his due than it did, did for he, the quality of the match. Did he though? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say because of the Hogan involvement and everything, but and the fact that he didn't legitimately win the title until two years later. I, I just you know, I mean, I, I loved the fact that Randy Savage was world champion, and I think he proved himself over the course of that year he held, he held the championship for sure. But the night he won the title, it was basically handed to him by Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and I see that. I think it was just because at that time I was still a kid. I think I was 14 years old. Uh, Savage had been my favorite for years at that point. And I'm talking like four or five years. Even at that young of age, I was I was diehard Randy Savage. Part of the reason why I ended up liking the NWO, part of the reason why I ended up liking, you know, other heel characters, Randy Orton during his stint and and other people throughout time is because of that cool here heel character that was not everybody's favorite, but was still loved be and respected. So I loved Randy Savage. A Wrestlema- that WrestleMania three match is still up there with my top four or five favorite matches of all time, him and Steamboat. So I think as far as achievements go, that might have been up there as well. But when you look back at the match, and if I were to watch it now, I'd probably be completely disgusted with the whole thing. No, I see. I totally see where you're coming from. I, I think over time, and I used to love watching WrestleMania four over and over again. You know, my my um, my fam like wait. There was a time where we like we rented those videos and like I recorded them from VCR to VCR, yep. and I would watch WrestleMania four like over and over again, and I loved it. Um, but I think over time, just knowing the history of Hogan and Savage and all the times that Hogan beat Savage for a world championship. I just kind of <laughs> shake my head and be like, yeah, he's, he was kind of a patsy for Hogan all, this, all those years. And that's sad, too, because when you look at how great Savage was, the fact that he is always overshadowed by Hogan, and even Flair, for that matter, is kind of sad. He was a better professional wrestler than either one of them. He had a better mind for the business. He was more creative. Um, he, he had better more things. But he had better promo work. Than either one of them. I mean, his his promo work is still some of the best of all time. It, there's so much greatness with Savage that people don't understand because the two top dogs, one of them is, is still in my book one of the greatest of all times. I, I would he's not you know four years ago five years ago he was my number one. He's not anymore. But he, at that time, was still one of the best of all time. You know, and his promo work was really uncomparable until you got to Savage. Savage had such a great ability to draw you into his promos and change volumes. We talk about Jake Roberts, about how he could talk in a whisper and people were enthralled. And then you had Flair and Hogan who would yell and they were great promos. But Savage 
was so good at doing both. He mixed in both the whispers and the yells that I I would have a hard time saying he's not one of the best promo guys of all time. I agree with that. You know, I, I think, you know, he was one of the most creative guys of all time, maybe the most creative. Um, he was a great promo guy. He was great in the ring. I, th- I think, you know, he the things that held him back from being the great, the top stars, like Hogan and Flair was... He wasn't the Hogan and Flair. Guys were, and he was, and he was a, and he was a head case. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but anyway, I think we got way off topic here. That's okay. (laughs) Well, we were talking about the Boneyard match, which, by the way, was god awful, and not Um, god, not god awful. And I'm, I got to clarify myself because I've had this argument now about six times with other people. It wasn't god awful in the sense of it being an epic WrestleMania match in the times we have now. I mean, let's face it. God, the times we have now was that triple threat ladder match. We'll get to that in a second. This was god-awful in the fact that it what might have been a cinematic experience. It might have been something that was fought took you out of the moment going on in the world. In the wrestling sense of the word, you took a 56-man and made him look unstoppable. Could it have been done better? Yes. Put him back into his phantom uh, dead walking gimmick, the mortician gimmick. He's You run him out there as a biker and make him this stoppable phenom is a whole different thing in his Undertaker gimmick, in his Mortician gimmick, where his gimmick was to be that unstoppable force. Not only that, you took a gamer and just way the things that made him great, you got what you got. It just, to me, was so horribly done that it made for, even though it was, you know, everything it was, Ultimately, storyline-wise, performer-wise, it was just not good. You know, you just hit on something I think that that I've been kind of feeling and hadn't really been able to completely articulate in my thoughts. But, but, you know, I mentioned how what really happened here was that the man was beaten – and then some kind of, somehow some supernatural being teleported behind AJ, and then from that point on, he was untouchable. Right. And if that if that had happened, and the man had still been laying down in that grave, but then the Undertaker's tombstone character, you know, the Undertaker in full Undertaker garb, had been the one to teleport, teleport behind AJ, and then he didn't do all the trash talking. He was just an unstoppable zombie dead man force. I would have been able to stomach a lot better than what we actually saw. You actually just hit on it there. That would have been the great cinematic Undertaker match that would have sent Undertaker off into the limelight and history in. He would have rode off with his, you know, win and been that right there. That right there is the storytelling that should have happened. He throws the biker badass in the grave and the undead character is the one that shows up behind him. Even if it's back in the 1991 garb with the torn shoulder or, you know, the sleeves and everything, 
and the dark and the eyeshadow makeup and, every, and all yep. that stuff. And 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 none of this, you know. Say my wife's name again. You, you remember what her name is now? You know, all, all this, all that bullshit. You know, D movie dialogue he's spouting that would have been made fun of on Mr. Sander Three Thousand. None of that stuff. Just an that's... undead guy who doesn't care about anybody. You know, stomping through those guys because that's the you know that's the guy that that stomped through the Big Show and and um, Prince Albert at WrestleMania whatever it was. You but know. the other guy went through Hogan, went through Slaughter, went through Savage, went through Flair, went through, you know, Shawn Michaels, went through CM Punk. And, you know, granted, he lost the one time to Lesnar, but originally went through Lesnar. Yep. That undead character beating AJ. Um, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that undead character, had he been the one to show up behind AJ made this entire thing a completely different and probably would have made it to, and granted had he not done the trash talking, the dialogue and the speech at the end would have made this not only on or not only watchable, but probably one of my favorite matches of all time. Yeah. And that's also had, the undertaker that would be able to do the flame thing, the flame thing with his symbol, with the magic on top of the, on top of the the barn, and and to do the you know all of a sudden this tombstone this this gravestone has AJ Styles information on it, right? You know, I mean I mean that would have that would have all fit the story a lot better. You know I will say though that that the one scene that I did love you know even though it was my favorite guy down there was you know the hand sticking out of the dirt. That was yeah. a really cool image to end on. And that was a callback. Um, and I can't remember which pay-per-view it was, but there was that uh, one pay-per-view. I think it was Austin that buried Undertaker. And at the end of the at the end of the match or show, Taker's arm thrust through the dirt. And that was to me. I felt like that was a callback to that show. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. So apparently, you wanted to talk about the ladder match. <sighs> Is there anything else you want to talk about? Because I have a feeling you and I are going to spend some time on this one. On night one? On any of it. Night one, night two. Well. I mean, obviously, the Firefly Funhouse is where we're going to end it. I'm just talking about any of the other stuff. Because I personally, I, I was hit and miss with the women. I thought some of the women matches were great. I thought some of them were, eh. I thought. You know, I felt like there was some goodness in all of it. I thought there was some badness in all of it. Outside of maybe four or five matches on the entire card, I really did not have much feeling for but I really did feel like night two was better than night one. See, I feel differently than you do about the women. I think that the women all did an outstanding job. I would say that what we saw from the women, there was nothing less than a three-star match from any of it. No, I agree. Uh, no, no, I will no, look. I'm not, no, I'm not including Bianca Belair in here because I thought her appearance, her appearance was just extraneous, and just shoehorn, just shoehorned her in for no reason, you know. Um, but, but when I talk, but but you know, I thought that the opening tag team match on night one with the women was great, although there was some clear editing going on. Um, right. I I thought that Shayna Baszler versus Becky wasn't what I wanted it to be, but it was still good. Um, I thought you know, we went for. You know, there was there was a time when that finish 
you know, we saw it happen with Bret Hart and Roddy Piper WrestleMania 8 for the first time ever that I'm aware of. And then we saw it happen at Survivor Series 1996 between Bret Hart and Steve Austin. And it, and it happened um, a couple years before that in, uh, in Ring of Honor when um, Austin Aries was defending his championship against Samoa Joe and beat Samoa Joe like that. And then it happened in Ring of Honor when Will Ospreay won the TV title from Marty Scurll. But um, the, or no, I'm sorry, the other way around. It was Marty Scurll won it from Will Ospreay. Um, <coughs> and then we didn't, you know, it might have happened one time with eight, with uh, Samoa Joe in TNA 2. But for years, it was a very rarely used finish. And there's my son coming in, like I mentioned. Um, that, okay. Now it's your turn to be uh, distracted. Hang on a second. So ask, ask him if he wants any milk. You don't have what? Anyway, what Shane was saying, and to be honest, I have no clue. Kind of half listening to him at this point. <laughs> he, he said he said no <laughs> good night love you all right so but now like you know just like four times in the last two years we've seen that finish used once by aj against samoa joe and then um three times against shana baszler and you're telling me that Shayna Baszler, who I, I know that, you know, I, I have disagreement against me for this, but I consider her to be the greatest female wrestler of all time. You're telling me that, she, that after she's already losing twice that way to Kyrie Sane, now she can't think of a way to counter that against Becky Lynch? Um, I fucking hated it. I, I hated it. I was. That I, I, I didn't care that Becky Lynch beat Shayna Baszler. I mean, I preferred Shayna to win, but I didn't. But I'm tired of that finish happening so often the last few years. The roll up finish is tired and i hate to say it because it fits storylines if done right perfectly like we just talked about it with the elgin uh um eddie edwards best of five where the roll-ups were perfect but this did not fit the story that was being told it was nice because it was one of those situations where Shayna Baszler really got over. She's the only person to push the, the man to those limits. But the roll-up finish in this situation, I felt like was... I, it was more of a detriment to the entire match quality and the characters as a whole than it was to getting Shayna Baszler over as a legit competitor. Yeah, and and, and it's not just the roll-up finish that, that bugs me. It's, it's, the, it's that exact roll-up finish. Like, you're going to backflip over somebody and hold them down with your with your body weight on their shoulders, which, which you know, it w- was cool at WrestleMania 8. It was cool at SummerSlam 96. It's less cool when it happens three times in two years. Well, and it's less cool when it happens to Shayna Baszler. Well, I think... Is- I think if Becky was going to win this match and move on to another competitor like she should, it had to be a definitive win. It had to be two ass kickers that are out there. You know, right. You want to see, I mean, you want this, this wasn't like a David and Goliath type story. This was two people that kick you, that kick their, all their opponents asses all over the place. 
and, and, and continue and it to. Should have been one of the two getting a getting a victory with one of their impact finishers, either the Bexploder, or I mean, I would have hated to see Shayna Baszler tap out, but if she but if she did, she did. She passed out to pain. She passed out to pain. But I mean, it should have been something like that where one of those women actually won the match, not just you know rolled up rolled up the other one because that wasn't like you said what the story was about, and it's not what these two characters are about. I would have rather seen a pass out to pain than any definitive finish because I think a pass out to pain you end up with a Steve Austin type character, which Shayna Baszler is. I mean, let's let's face it. She's that ass kicker that takes no names. She is cheered but booed at the same time. And a pass-out finish could have propelled her to that point where she would have been the next big thing in WWE. That next... That next... Um, I, I, I don't want to say it would be like a Stone Cold because I don't think she could ever really truly take over the WWE. But if you're looking at a female wrestler to emulate what Tessa has done in Impact, Shayna Baszler is the one. Well, I think they think they have that in Becky. Um, and they don't. They I, don't. I, I, I guess at this point, you know, I should just, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm as much as I'm, as much as I'm, complaining about this i'm so happy the match was on i'm so happy wwe gets what they gave us because um you know i appreciate that they that they put on a wrestlemania even if it didn't feel like a wrestlemania um but um the other thing is i should be grateful just after the, after her just the way shana debuted that they just don't have gangrel managing her oh thank god <laughs> oh that was the worst uh, image i could have ever had thanks for that by the way but you know the, the although night if we could also, get the if if we could get that brood entrance again with Shayna Baszler, I'd be in. Uh, I'd be in on that. Um, the opening match on night two was the really? match I mentioned. Was the match that I mentioned almost made me forget that there was no crowd there. You know, I mean, um, I know there was a part that that you know that really took you out of it, and I and I understand that, and I understand why that spot would take you out of it. But to me, it was nearly a five-star match. And, I think it was and, just the and, placement. And this is somebody who, and this is coming from somebody who has not been a fan of Charlotte for ever since they kind of started shoving her down her throats. Um, but I thought that Charlotte and Rhea both did a fantastic job, and I really I want to applaud those women for putting on um, a match that really started off that night incredibly strong. I think you know I love the fact that we got to see um, Rhea. Back in her Charlotte days when she had long blonde hair and she looked like Charlotte and everything. Um, But the part that bugged me was the placement of that. She hit a big move on the turnbuckle, then hits the riptide and can't put Charlotte down. And then we have a 20-minute match after that. I think that... If that Riptide had been done right away from the start, kind of like Orton and uh, Edge was, I would have been okay with it. But the fact that it happened where it did and Charlotte kicked out, I could not buy in after that point to Charlotte or to Rhea <coughs> being that true competitor. Yeah, see, and to me, you know, I mean, we've talked about this. We don't, we don't, one of us will really enjoy finisher kickouts and things like that. But, but to me, this this was also like a bit of storytelling. Like, 
you know, Rhea, yeah, she hits her big move, but she doesn't have her opponent worn down enough, and she doesn't have the experience to realize she doesn't have her opponent worn down enough, or the experience to realize, you know, that she's in, you know, what WWE promotes as the greatest female wrestler of all time. And so, you know, even though she hits her finish, it's not enough to win the match against somebody with the pedigree of Charlotte Flair at that point of the match. And goddamn, I think it's the first time I've ever actually called her Charlotte Flair. Bad news. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, she, she, but the other thing was, like the announcers mentioned, she did not get frustrated by it. She just kept going on it. And But it, it, was, it was too much back and forth at that point. It's, it's not the fact that she hit her finisher. It's the fact that she hit a big move right before her finisher. That has me upset. And it was the same thing in the Drew McIntyre and uh, Brock Lesnar match. Where Brock hit, what, three F5s? And then Drew kept yeah, kicking out. And, or Spears, but it was one of the two. Yeah, I mean, same match in both nights. But regardless, it to me it was a lot. Put it in the fridge. Boo. If you're done, put it in the fridge. Um, the fact that she hit multiple or she hit that big move and then the finisher is where I lost it. That was at that point. It was like, okay, I never believed in Rhea Ripley after that point. Cause it was like, you hit your two big spots, you hit your, your, your big move and then your finisher and you can't finish off the queen. You're not going to win this. So I never, at that point, I never bought into Rhea Ripley again, which to me killed the match. And it might have been just my own personal feelings. It probably was. I'm sure there's a lot of people that love that. But for me, that was that one definitive moment where it's like, I can't come back from that. Yeah, and I, and I get that. Um, you know, I, but to me, I watch you know, two women hit each other with everything they had. I mean, I don't think we ever saw, um, I can't think of her, I can't think of her, um, flipping diamond cutter type move, but, but that, Oh, natural selection. Natural selection. I don't think we ever saw that get hit, but, but I, I love the back and forth. I love that, that they were hitting each other with everything. And then I loved the way that at the end, when Charlotte, you know, finally after four attempts gets the figure four on and then switches to the figure eight before tapping out, you know, Rhea sits up, she looks at the hold, she's studying it, trying to figure out a way out. She pushes, she's maneuvering, she can't get it. And finally, she just, like, is slapping at the legs, like, you know, kind of tapping up, but also kind of, like, you know, like, just out of frustration and, like, slapping at those legs, like, I'm, like I'm trying to get these legs off of her, you know. And and I just, the, the whole story to me was, was great. And I, I can understand where it would have lost you, where it would have lost some people, but to me, um, I didn't feel that way. If she had not hit the Riptide at that point, that match would have been a five-star match for me. I felt like everything they did before it, everything they did after it was great. But as a um, as a fan watching it, personally, I could not get back into Rhea Ripley at that point. And that that made me sad because that was, uh, to be honest, that was one of the matches I looked forward to more than anything. See, that's interesting to me because I feel like 
if we were talking about Kenny Omega versus, um, no, I'm not gonna say Kenny Omega because nobody kicks out of the, uh, I don't know, nobody kicks out of the One Winged Angel. So let's say we're talking. Unless about, you're Coda. Uh, what's that? Unless you're Coda. Yeah, unless you're Coda, and it's one time in, in a DDT, which nobody watches anyway. So, <laughs> um, so let's say we're talking about Kazushiko Okada versus. Um, who let's say coda so and let's say coda hits the um the the kamagoye bare knee on um on okada 10 minutes into the match after right after he hits the golden triangle and then okada kicks out of it and then and then they they go back and they have exactly the same type of match that charlotte and Rhea have and okada ends up putting it in the middle of the ring to me, I feel like you know Okada would have get that get it back to that point, and it would have been that you would have that you would have maybe not have loved it as much as you would have if that hadn't happened, but it wouldn't have killed the match for you. Is that fair to say? Yes, that is very fair to say because that's accurate. Yeah. So so maybe it's just that Rhea doesn't have enough experience at this point to to come back that way that those that those two guys could have. And to be honest, the um, kickouts that Drew did in the main event didn't bother me until the third one. So what you're saying is almost 100% accurate. Had it, had they had the experience, had they gone through that before, I probably would not have cared as much as I did in this match. Fair enough. And, and, and I guess that... Um, despite my feeling that you know Charlotte is overrated and has been kind of pushed down her throat, I, I think that she had enough here carrying Rhea to me that I was able to overcome that. I will say, and and I've said it now a couple of times, and I'll say it again. I said it at least once on this show. Before that spot, and definitely after that spot. If you take that spot out of this match, this is a five star match. Plain yeah, and simple. That. So, which, which, means, which makes me wonder. You know, you said it killed it for you. So, did it? Did you ever? Did it ever get any spark of light back to it? So, I mean, where, where would you rate this match with that, with that spot still in it? With that spot, it's three and a half. Okay, so it's, it still passes for you then. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was a great match. Um, and when I went back and watched it, because I actually went back back and watched about six of these matches. Um, if you take that spot out of the match, this is a five-star match. With it, it's three. And I three actually... And all right, three and a half. Fine. Be that way, <laughs> dick. <laughs> um, but if I went back and I watched it, and I um, knew that spot was coming, so I actually fast-forwarded to beyond it. After that spot, if you take the match for what it is from that spot going forward, this is a five-star match easily. And I watched it from that spot going forward and I loved every second. But when you incorporate that spot into it for me, that was one of those killer moments that just took me out of everything that I thought going into it. Gotcha. Yes. And see, see to me, it doesn't drop it by a star and a half. It just drops it by maybe a star. So. And that's you know, and you know, like we said, 
it's all subjective. Subjective. Holy um, crap. I think, I, you know, I think really, you know, we, we already met, we already mentioned how, you know, the world, two world title matches were the same match and they both kind of suck. Kind of? Well, I'm trying it, to be generous here. The part, like, the Goldberg-Strowman match, I was like, yeah, whatever. Strowman title, yeah, we knew it was coming. It was going to be Roman Reigns, now it's Strowman, whatever. Um, for me, I have been a fan of Drew McIntyre since he debuted. Since he was you know, in his feud with MVP over the Intercontinental title and his feuds with, MV- and his feuds with Hardy and everybody else on SmackDown, I even felt like when he was part of 3MB that this guy was underutilized and a beast. Then he goes on and he dominates the indies. Then he dominates Impact. Then he dominates NXT. Then he comes up and he's a force, but not that upper mid-card or even main event level force. I have always loved Drew McIntyre. Drew Galloway, whatever you want to call him. He is one of my favorites and has always been. All I wanted was a great match. I wanted a Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar style match. What I got was Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar without the balls kick. It was just disappointing. And I'm sad because it was disappointing because all I wanted was Drew McIntyre to get his WrestleMania moment after, what, 15, 20 years? 15. He came up in 05, right? I think so. I can't swear to it, but that sounds right. That's all I wanted. All I wanted as being a lifetime Drew McIntyre fan was for him to get that definitive win, not a repeat of what we saw the night before, not a, oh my God, Paul Heyman made a mistake by saying go for three or four or whatever it was. I wanted a good match from what I know can be a guy who delivers a good match. And two guys, to be honest, Brock, up until the last, what, two or three years, was honest to God, one of the best wrestlers on the planet. He was a great storyteller. He was good at what he did. And he made it all believable. And the fact that he, I think it was his Randy Orton match when he just went out and just beat the shit out of Randy legitimately. That's when it turned for Brock, and he hasn't been a good wrestler since. Yeah, you know, and I don't know, and I don't know that if it's that it's not that it's that he's not a good wrestler versus you know he does what WWE wants him to do. That's fair enough. You know, you know because because we've seen him have great matches against Daniel Bryan and um, and AJ and, and Roman Reigns since then. So yeah, it's not that he can't put on a great match. I think it just does what WWE asks of him. All I know and, is this and, is garbage. And, and, and yeah, it, it was garbage, and I can understand that it wasn't the great match you wanted from Drew, or even a good match that you wanted for, for Drew. But um, I would say that it's different than what we saw the night before in one sense, and it's different than what we saw him do 
what we saw happen with Seth Rollins a year ago or two. It was two years ago now. No, it was a year ago, right? A year ago. Yeah, it was a year um, ago with the with it, the low blow that, and the stomp in the opening night. Right, the low blow and the stomp on opening night, but also when that happened, you know, Lesnar got right up. He looked at his shot, then he rolled out of the ring, and he was all upset. This time, this time tonight, what differentiating or not tonight, but on night two, what differentiated it from um, Braun Strowman winning the championship was Paul Heyman. You know, Paul Heyman being out there and just in complete flabbergasted, speechless shock at what Drew McIntyre did because it was different than what Seth Rollins did. It wasn't because of a cheap shot. It wasn't because of a low blow. He survived those, he survived those two German suplexes. He survived the three F fives. And then he knocked Lesnar out, you know, after that, you know, that fourth, um, um, fuck, I forgot the name of that fourth kick. When Lesnar was just getting up and he kicked him right in the face, and Lesnar was just out. You know, he didn't almost kick out. He didn't get up right afterwards. He was knocked out from that kick. And that's something that people just don't do to Brock Lesnar. So while it wasn't a great match or even a good match, I think it did make um, Galloway look unstoppable. Yeah. And, and like a killer. Yeah, and he always has. I'm not a fan of the Claymore, but... Oh, I like Future Shock so much better. Oh, so much better. Um, But he's made it his own to a point where just that one-legged kick looks actually more devastating than a regular drop kick or um, what's become the fad lately is that uh, corner drop kick. Um, who uh, Okada does? Yeah. yeah. Um, Galloway has or McIntyre has made that look so much more devastating than any of those that I'm okay with that. You know, the, the only the only bad thing about it is I still think that the sick kick looks a lot better than, than the clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Maybe it's because he doesn't fall on his back. That's one. Th- I think I'll give Roderick strong as he never fell on his back. Yeah, it could be. Um, but anyway, uh, I I am so happy that this might have been the final moment where we move on from Brock Lesnar and we get that legitimate champion that's there all the time and is always is always on TV again. I hope now, you said that you had some wood you were sitting there and knocking on. Kind of. It's my That's counter. Oh. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, I knew you were going there too. I almost, <laughs> I tried to get there first, but <laughs> jackass. Um, I, <sighs> well, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of from your women is that it's only kind of wood. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Um, anyway, I lost my train of thought, you jerk. Um, you want you, I, want you want Brock Lesnar to be gone as a as a part time champ. It's not so much like I I've never had an issue with that, especially not as much as you have, because I know you're. But I remember growing up in the days where you saw the world heavyweight champion once every two months three months there was a one pay-per-view they built to it 
and it was you know it was mainly the challenger that did the building and then the champion would show up every now and then just say hey fuck you um wait 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 i think you have a misconception here i don't care that brock lesnar is only there every so often to defend his championship what i care about is then when he does he loses the title for like a month and then comes back and then wins back okay he just appears out of nowhere takes back the title and then he does the same thing and goes back into hiding i mean if if they were going to do that with and the other thing is if they would do that with every champion it would be it'd be a lot better than just making making special rules for brock lesnar i mean if you're going to have a rule where and, and that they did it right after daniel bryan too you know daniel bryan had to give up the wwe championship because he couldn't defend it after three days. right and then brock lesnar wins it and he can go off and, and not defend it for four months you know, it was, it's the double standard that they use with him. And then, you know, Roman. That storylines and yep. their reality that I have problems with. All right, that makes sense. That makes sense. If Lesnar had just held it for five years and not lost it to Roman, not lost it to Seth, but just held it, it would make a whole lot more sense realistically than what they've done. Yeah, or or if, you know, when he, when he isn't able, or, or if, you know, he loses it and the other guy isn't able to defend it for six weeks they don't say oh well you have to drop the title now because you can't defend it for six weeks right okay that makes sense all right i'm on board there so anyway okay so we've discussed the women they had a great showing i had my one downfall otherwise i loved them all i loved that tag title match on on night one I loved the Fatal Five way. I loved even Natalia versus uh, what the fuck's her name? Um, not Mandy Rose, the other one. Liv Tyler. Natalia Liv. had a match. Yeah, on the pre-show. Oh, I didn't watch the pre-show. Yeah, uh, Liv something. Liv Morgan. Um, she had a she had an actual decent match against Liv Morgan on night two of the kickoff show. I really liked what the women did, but the crowning achievement of what the women did, and I hate to say this more than anything, because I am a huge proponent of women's wrestling as long as it's not Tessa against every man on the roster. I loved what they did in that Dolph Ziggler versus Otis match. And by they, I'm assuming that you mean those things inside um, Mandy Rose's shop. Maybe. <laughs> you know, I, God, I you know, I, I was God, I love I, Mandy Rose. I'm you, just you, saying. You know what it brought me back to was that, and I don't remember even exactly what pay per view it was, but there was a pay per view by TNA when um, Madison Rain defended the Knockouts Championship, and she came down in a flesh colored suit. And it brought me right back to that. Jesus. At uh, at WrestleMania when Mandy Rose came down in that nearly flesh covered like goldish suit in in the Dolph Ziggler versus Otis match. And you know what? If, you and I talked about a year ago when when Heavy Machinery got moved got moved to the got moved to WrestleMania and I said out of all the call ups that they did at that time, and that included Alistair Black, it included Ricochet, um, and a couple other people. I said that Otis was Champa, going to be the biggest. Champa and Gargano were a part of that one. Yep, and I said, and and you and I, and I, and I made a point of it, and you said you could see where I was coming from. That Otis was going to be the biggest star that came out of it. 
And and out of all those guys, who had the biggest night at WrestleMania? Uh, it was Otis. It was a strong match, and he and he walked away with the girl. I will honestly say that this match exceeded my expectations. It was a three-star it, match. Yeah, well, no, I, I would have given it a little bit more than that. Maybe like a three and a half. I think when you incorporate storyline and the yeah, fact... Sure, yeah, I got you. If you incorporate storyline, it's probably three and a half to four. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that this was one of the few storylines that WWE Creative has followed through to completion. When well, have we they ever... That. We saw them kiss. We're not sure what happened after that. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be an inevitable tag team match that incorporates Dolph and Sonya versus Otis, and which will ruin everything, by the you way. You just no-sold my joke. Ugh. I'm going to do completely different directions, but that's okay. Sorry, I was... <sighs> anyway. I The match itself actually was a lot better than I thought it would be. And I don't know if that was Dolph or if that was Otis. Otis has been one of these guys that even in his NXT career, I've never been able to get a peg on. Is he a good wrestler or is he a good storyteller that allows the wrestlers to be themselves? I think he's a great... Okay, I'm, I'm trying to try to see how to phrase this. I, I think he's good in the ring. Not necessarily great at this point, but he's still growing and he's still learning. But I think he's got a big personality. But even more than that, I think he is a great canvas for anybody else to act upon. You know, I think he can play off of anything anybody else is doing. Anyone that can take the worm, Scotty Tuhati's worm, which is one of the greatest Say what you will, but one of the greatest crowd-popping moves of all time. He can take it and make it his own, which he has with the Caterpillar, because he does it in such a different way. Right there, you have to give the guy props. Make it his own, but also make it look like a move that that could actually hurt somebody that the worm never looked like. You know, True. People's elbow never looked like it could hurt somebody, and yet he's combined those two moves in the move that looks like he could, it could actually finish a match because of his size and ability. And um, and Scotty Tuhati, the way that he did it with the lead up and the the you know spelling out the worm and everything, never worked to the way that Otis is able to do it out of the corner. It, it's it's done to a fluidity that Otis makes this look devastating. To a point that Scotty Tuhati never did. And let's be honest, the worm is when you think about, talk about, talk to your friends about whatever moves of all time, the worm is always one of those ones that come up. And Otis took that and improved on it. Absolutely. There alone makes him somebody that you should keep uh, pay attention to. And you know, my, my point was, um, and I, and your point was was excellent as well. But my point is simply that I think he has the ability to be a chameleon out there. You know, he, he can he can play off anybody. I think I think he's really great at improv. 
Not, that's not WWE definitely does improv, but I think he would be great at that because I think he can just play off whatever is going on at that time. Um, I, I really think he's, he's, he's a superstar on the rise. He's going to be a champion in that company. Not not just a tag so? champion or a 24-7 champion, but I could easily see him being a WWE champion at some point. You think he has that look, though? I think Unfor- he has un- what Kevin Owens has. But... Kevin Owens was never, they still don't look at that universal title as the championship. I think they did for a while. It was the top title on Raw, and then Raw's the top, is the top show in the company. Yeah, I guess you're right. I just never felt like it was on par with the WWE championship. Yeah, I mean, I mean at worst, he's going to have Santino's career, which is pretty damn good. Not that I love Santino, but I mean, you got to admit he had he had he he built up a pretty good career for himself. Yeah, I'm trying to ignore that. <laughs> you're just you're just still mad that I called his return to the Royal Rumble. That's <laughs> yes, <laughs> kind of a little. And um, but yeah, now, I agree with you. I, you know, I. I, I don't I wouldn't say it was the crowning achievement, but I but I do think that you know Manny Rose and even Sonya Deville's performance belongs right up there with with everything else. Those <coughs> so. I think I think all of it in retrospect and just watching it live was probably as far as storyline goes. And the Dolph involvement, and and I know it's WWE, so we really haven't gotten involved, but I did watch a lot of the story. I think this was a five-star performance. Simply because of everything that went into it and the fact that, you know, Otis and Mandy made her official face turn, and it, it was one of those moments where people from our generation are going to look back as, as Savage and, and Elizabeth. Possibly. Depends on where it goes from this, from this point. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, you know, people, my generation, your generation, we're what year and a half apart. Um, we look at Randy and Elizabeth as being that crowning couple. I think if WWE does this right, Mandy and Otis could be that couple. So not Chris and Nancy? No. Bad. <laughs> I can't believe I went there either. <laughs> it is awful. <laughs> Speaking of Chris and Nancy, um, I loved that last man standing match, but did you get the same feeling I did when he was rapping edge in those weight belts and he kissed him on the forehead and said i love you no i didn't i, I, I see did. the reaction online but I, I did not equate the two it was the first thing i thought of and maybe it was because i just watched that um youtube series right before it but it was it was not a good reaction i got from it which and, if, and, and if that were why people were mad at the match in general, I'd be okay. Fuck with that. them. No, you know, it, it, at that point, 
you have to separate. You have to. I got skeevies and I was a little bit like, whoa, what's going on here? That's not WWE-ish. But at the same point, I was able to separate those two. And if you can't separate those two, I'm sorry. I I don't know what to say other than I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're so caught up in everything that happens outside your life. I mean, I mean that the other. I guess the other point to say with that is, <clears throat> is if that's going to get you to think of that, then, you know, do you feel that way every time you see a Cooper, a Cooper crossface? I mean, I mean, did, when you saw um, Michael Elgin make Eddie Edwards pass out to the Cooper crossface, did you think, oh my God, that's what Chris did to Nancy? You know. Well, I don't because there's no proof of that. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, I, I do. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but. I still have a hard time not separating art from reality. Marilyn Manson may not be a great person, but his music is great. And if you can't separate that, I I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do at that point. Yeah, you know... I loved this match, you know, everything from start to finish, including, you know, what made perfect sense was with Randy Orton sneaking in as the cameraman and hitting the RKO on edge, you know, right. in, you know, including the finish that, you know, I think, I know you have a, a slight problem with, you know, with ending with the concerto and, and Edge's reaction to it, you know, including Edge jumping from the ladder, which, which, you know, I, I, I saw him climb the ladder. I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? With with his with his neck issues, but you know even him climbing the ladder and drop, dropping down with the elbow. Um, I get I guess if I could pick out one thing I didn't like about the match, it was how how little impact there was from him climbing on the ceiling like Spider Man and dropping the elbow from the from the uh, for some reason steel cage fencing that's on top of the ceiling in that in that. Uh, <coughs> but I mean even that you know wasn't enough to take me out of the match. It's funny that you say that because that was the same negative I had. Everything else about this match I loved. Uh, you had you started off with um, Randy being Randy. That's what made Randy Orton so popular was his sneakiness, his um, the fact that he was hit that RKO out of, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Yep. And then you had Edge fighting to get back to his feet, and the ref not going to start it until he on his feet and gives the audible okay. You know, I I bought into the, all of that. And the entire match, and I've read, you know, things online and people upset that it went on too long and all this crap. You had two Hall of Famers, two of the greatest of all time going head to head in a personal issue. This was something that edge took personally and Randy made personal. And it wasn't just that Randy was playing head games, getting in Beth's, um, you know, wheelhouse and getting the kids involved. This was something that Randy truly believed. So you had two Hall of Fame greatest of all time going one-on-one 
in a personal issue that they both believed. The fact that neither one of them wanted to lay down after 10 minutes makes perfect sense. And anyone on the internet, anyone in any retrospect that looks at this and goes, oh, that went on too long. Hell no. If I was fighting for my life, my career, my legacy, my children, I would fight forever. Right. And you would fight. You would fight yes. punches and kicks and cables and elbow drops and a ladder and chairs and the and a conference and, table and, and conference table weight and belts and, weight and, plates and yep and everything out there at your disposal you know this was not supposed to be a wrestling match and i could see where you could watch a wrestling match and say and see it went 36 minutes and say it went too long this wasn't right. a wrestling match no this was like you said a personal fight between two guys that were as close as brothers at one point they traveled the roads up and down and one guy was trying to take take the career back away from another guy and, you know, and apparently felt like in a psychosis that he was doing him a favor and giving him his family and his life back to him. That whereas the other guy was fighting for his career his and family, his family his dream, not having his dream taken away from him a second time more importantly down for the other guy. And it so, was more important than his dream and his career. It was his family. He was fighting for edge was fighting for Beth edge was fighting for his daughters. When Randy said that to uh, Beth and made that personal, that's when it, it clicked as a father. If anyone ever said that to me, I would fight them to the end of days, end of days. And for edge, that is his driving factor for Randy. It was something completely different because I have friends that have been downtrodden, that have done dumb things, that have maybe gone out there when they shouldn't have, and I'll fight those friends too. So for Edge, it was a, I'm trying to protect you from yourself type thing, and for, or I'm sorry, for Randy. It was, I'm trying to protect you from yourself. I want the best for you. And for Edge, it was, you insulted my family. It was two completely different retrospects, but the same feelings that was brought into it. And because of that, the fact that they were both fighting to no end, and the fact that they're both Hall of Famers, they're both two of the toughest guys to ever be in the ring. It just, it made it feel like a real fight, not just a scripted, you know, wrestling moment, but a real fight. And I think that's why I didn't have a problem with the length. I didn't have the problem with where they were going. I loved the fact that they incorporated things that we would normally not have gotten a chance to see. If that office spot had happened when there was live TV, there would have been five, six people in there. It would have been a three minute spot as it was. It turned into a 10 minute spot of them slamming each other against posters and tables and chairs and all kinds of things. I just, I loved every second of that match. I texted this to you, but I, and I really feel like it felt like 
the one of the SmackDown, one of the PS2 SmackDown games where you would fight in the in the backstage. You know, you'd, you'd fight and you'd hit each other with weights and with cars and um, with lockers and, you know, whatever was back there, you would slam each other into and throw each other into and, and punch and kick and hit your finisher and throw them again and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know what? I, I didn't feel like this match was long. I just kept watching it and it felt, you know, this to me was, you know, as much as, you know, I'm not saying it was better than, but... Um, this to me was the cinematic achievement of WrestleMania weekend. You know, it, it was, it was a wrestling fight inside a mostly inside backstage area with the ring involved as well. But it just didn't feel like an empty arena match to me. It felt like they were just beating the shit out of each other anywhere they could. And, and, you know, people loved so much the, the main event from the night before that I felt like went, I felt like went forever. I kept looking at my watch, like where, like you know, this thing is just not going to ever end. I didn't even know what ended. (laughs) This match, um, I didn't realize it had gone thirty-six minutes. So, I mean, it's and it's the long. What is it? The second longest WrestleMania match of all time. Um, So what? Who cares? The my only negative, and it's probably like picking, you know. Yeah, but my only negative to the entire match was that ending where he set up for the concerto. He got all teary-eyed. He stopped the count at like six. Randy was already beaten. And then he's like, oh, no, stop the count. And then he set up the concerto, and then he cried for a little bit. And then he hit the concerto and allowed the count to continue. To me, I get where they were going storyline-wise because that was due justice. Randy hit the concerto and every blah, blah. But the fact that he did it the way he did it, if he had been consumed by anger and had been like, okay, I have to hit this concerto and not stop the count and not cried beforehand – I think I would have been more okay with it. The fact that he literally took 25 to 30 seconds after Randy was passed out to hit that concerto, I think that is my only downfall of this entire event. But outside of that, this was a five-star, five-plus match that can't be, can't be replicated ever. I, I agree with you, and, and I mean, I didn't feel that way about about the finish. I, you know, we talked about that earlier today, and I, and I guess, I, and I guess, you know, what the best I can say about it is that, um, to me, it just felt like you know he was crying because he knew what he had to do, or what he felt like emotionally he had to do, even if he didn't literally have to do it. Like he felt like that receipt was called for; it had to be done, um, especially with, after what Orton did to Beth. You know, he had right. to, he had to he had to finish it off with Orton. Um, and I get, I get that, and I, and I would have been okay with that had he not called off that the ref's count. Had the ref been just like, okay, I see Randy moving, I'm not going to count right now, and then he sets up. Yes, the fact that he ref was at six, and then he was like, no, no, stop, you know, whatever he, you know, expletives and blah blah. But the fact that he stopped that count. 
and then set up the concerto and then cried for 15 seconds and then hit him with it. If it had been a bang, bang, he hits a sleeper, he sets up the concerto, he hits him with the concerto out of pure anger, I would have been a little more okay with it. I guess what I would say to that is, yeah, he was at the referee was at six, but how many times have we seen they even get to nine and then all of a sudden they just pop right back up? Yeah, but you don't see the wrestler on the ground shaking because he's he's in that much pain. I suppose. Yeah, I, I, that, I, I, I guess you know, you know. I guess the question is, did Randy Orton deserve that? And I'll oh yeah, the, I'll answer that the same yeah. way that Wesley Wyndham Price would answer, which is, we all get what we deserve. Yes, I agree, hundred and ten percent. He deserved that, but at the same point, I think the story could have been told a little bit better, which would have kept this from an, which would have made this an all-time classic. That's that's my only negative. I thought everything leading up to this was great. I thought. The back room, the weight room brought us a whole new retrospective to the way that these kind of matches are. Um, I thought the boardroom thing and the extended time in the boardroom was great. I I loved the, the wrestling on top of the truck and the trailer. I absolutely loved everything about this. And I don't think this could have been pulled off the way it was had it been in front of a live audience. I think that's one thing we are forgetting as wrestling fans and everything. Two of these matches and two of the probably best matches in WrestleMania history are this Randy Orton and one we're about to talk about because I know we're going to spend some time on that too. I don't think either one of them could have been pulled off in front of a live audience. Wait, we're going to talk about the ladder match next? Or are we just going to the ladder match? Because I know you said you wanted to talk about that. I, I really didn't care about oh, it. Oh, we can talk about it. I guess I'm at the same point. It, <laughs> with well, the ladder... It, so I just want to make sure that we, we're going to talk about it if you want to talk about it. So. I, okay, my extent on ladder match is too many crowd-popping moments for a match that had no crowd. <laughs> Plain and simple. It, it was fine for what it was. One off, it would have been great. Had there been a live crowd with all those crowd poppy moments, amazing. I would have been, I would have felt greater about it, and I would have loved it more had there been that crowd. But this is this was one of those matches where it needed a crowd to be a great match. Without yeah. the crowd, it was. Eh. It was just two guys or three guys falling off ladders, literally. Yeah, you know, I, I guess you know they're, they're. I guess they're probably putting in perspective that their crowd is out there. It's just out in the virtual world instead of being in the audience. But but I do. But I do agree. It feels weird for guys to be slamming themselves on ladders in front of no nobody to actually watch and and react to it. And it wasn't just that. There were they legitimately hit crowd popping moments. It it was one of those things where I was watching it and going, Yeah, that would have been great had there been a reaction. Had there been anybody to say, Ooh, 
But ultimately, it was just three of the most athletic guys in the company. And I I don't know for sure if Jimmy is more athletic than Jay. He is. I guess I can't say that for sure. I I, I don't know. But obviously, John Morrison is. Obviously, Kofi is. I just can't get into that kind of um, match when the, all they're looking for is that crowd pop, and there's no crowd pop. Yeah, it was it was really a weird it was really a weird blending of a stunt brawl mat ladder match with a psychological ladder match. I felt, especially with the ending of it, with Johnny Mundo outsmarting Johnny Mundo, Mundo <laughs> Kingston and. Um, Jimmy Uso. Right. It was, it, the whole thing was a crowd pop that didn't have the crowd pop. Yeah. And, you know, the, and, you know, the crowd being dismayed at Johnny Mundo outsmarting the two hero teams would have felt a lot better if the crowd was actually there to boo it or to be like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna call him Johnny Mundo. So I can't disagree. Okay. I just can't. Anyway. And, and I'm always gonna love Austin Aries' promo about how Johnny doesn't know who the hell he is. Right. <laughs> Guys, we covered that. La- we covered that about a year and a half ago on this show. But go back. You can still find it on, on Impact. Austin Aries cut one of my favorite promos of all time on at the time Johnny Impact. So. And not only that, you can find it on our Patreon at patreon.com slash kingdom of honor. And Austin Aries himself reacted to us covering it, which is cool as fuck. Yes, he did. He called himself a magician, and I'm not going to disagree with that. So let's move on to Wait, the, ma- to the match that what was that? called the coolest thing he ever he's ever seen. Not only did he, but a lot of people did. Um, WWE fan or wrestlers, uh, Impact wrestlers, NXT wrestlers, Ring of Honor wrestlers. I've seen it all over the internet. But I've also seen negatives, which. Huh? Right? I get it. Now, this is a match that, had there been a live audience, would not have worked. Period. Plain and simple. There's no crowd poppy moments. There's no... This was strictly a WrestleMania match that happened because there is nobody in attendance. This match could never have happened on live TV, it could never have happened on a event where there was 70,000 people in attendance. The only way this match could have ever happened was in the current situation we are in because of the coronavirus, because of um, the fact that everything is locked down, no re- no uh, you know nobody in attendance. But this was the cinematic wrestling event 
of the year. Maybe of all time. Yeah. It, it was amazing. I mean, it was flat out amazing. You and I, you and I talked about last week on this show how much we loved the um, the final deletion and the Great War in in Impact Wrestling. That had nothing this match, on this. <laughs> nothing this match, on this. What's that? That had nothing on this. No, it had nothing on this. I mean, I mean, this this match used the history of John Cena um, to completely destroy John Cena, which was amazing. not just not and, just the his the history on John Cena, the history on wrestling. Yep. The fact that they called in Sunday night's main event with Johnny Muscle, Muscle, whatever he was, and the NWO, NWO Hogan was a direct influence on the Cena character that we saw, but kind of an indirect influence. They went so far above and beyond taking John Cena and what he has been and incorporated his influence with NWA, NWO Hogan and the um, 80s muscle-bound wrestlers of the week that it just, it was such a great thing to behold. And that ending when... And this man is the devil too. Yeah, and that ending when they took Cena and they're spouting off his own words about the most overhyped, most overused, most over uh, overrated wrestler of this generation, and they took Cena and they had that in his face as he got that final that final move. I don't know if there's anything better. Period. You know, the other thing that I really loved about it is, unlike what we talked about on the first match we talked about tonight, um, between Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens, where Seth Rollins, you know, said, I'm untouchable at WrestleMania and proved himself wrong. What Bray Wyatt said face-to-face with John Cena is, it's going to be a slaughter. Right. You just don't know it yet. And that's exactly what it was. John Cena was slaughtered. The WWE was slaughtered. Professional wrestling for 30 years was slaughtered. Go ahead. John Cena got in, what, three or four punches on Wyatt himself and then a bunch on a a doll that was laying on the ground. And that's his only offense that he got in the entire time. (laughs) It was absolutely fantastic. This was such a great performance. Not only... not just what we saw once uh, you know you have Cena coming out and he does his playing to the crowd like he normally did with the pointing and the you know all the stuff that he yeah all the stuff he does when there's a live crowd which was all for not because it wasn't live but it was Cena being Cena and the Cena we've seen for the last Jesus, 15 years? And then you take that Cena, and Bray was great with the way he cut everything off and jumped into the WrestleMania montage. And then broke into 
this um, ruthless aggression stage, which I felt was amazing because if you if you've ever heard the John Cena story, he designed his tights and everything he did so that he could be this ruthless aggression guy that would come out in the neon colored uh, tights of whatever sporting hero was in that town. Right. You know, and the ruthless aggression guy never got off. It was one of those things where Vince was like, you're a muscle bound reject. You look like Hulk Hogan. Let's go out and pump you. And John's own story says that it never took off because he was never himself. And the fact that Bray brought that back and replicated the Kurt Angle promo and everything that went into it was just phenomenal. Yeah, it it really was. I'm I'm trying to think, you know, what trying to think where I was going to go and then I because I kind of lost my train of thought with what you just said um, let me see if I can get it back <laughs> I don't blame you I don't know what I was thinking either no I, I, I had somewhere I was trying, I'm trying to think oh and then you know and then they then he leads into you know the other part of the, of the slaughter was that he psychologically broke Cena at that point to the to the point where he brought he brings him back in time to six years ago when he told Cena to hit him with the chair and Cena didn't do it. He threw the chair down. Oh, we missed. Swings, and there is no Bray Wyatt there to hit. Because but we Bray missed. Bray Wyatt is no longer that character. He's no longer at that spot where Cena can even touch him. You know, you we can't miss... see John Cena. You can't touch Bray Wyatt if you're John Cena. We missed that point, though. We had the whole how after the ruthless, ruthless oh, my God, ruthless aggression stage. John kind of transformed into that muscle bound reject that we got on the Saturday night promo thing that uh, Bray did. And then he goes from that to the rapper where he's just legitimately a bully. He's not trying to pump up anybody. He's trying to tear everybody down. And then we go to, you know, his how he is this character that doesn't win by being a great guy. He wins by being this bully and this bully character transforms into his eat your vitamins, say your prayers lift weights Hulk Hogan type character hustle to respect right but at the same point does nothing but trash his opponents it was such a well written and well drawn out retrospect of Cena which is different than what we've all been made to love and enjoy. We've all loved this um, 
you know, fruity pebbles wearing crowd popping. He does funny things. He says this stuff, but ultimately John Cena has been that guy throughout time who has taken the young guys, the Bray Wyatt's, the Kevin Owens, the CM Punk's, the you know, count them back RVD back in the day. And he is always trashing that guy. Not for for the success that he had. I mean, say what you will about Hogan, but he built stars Um, for the years of success that John Cena has had in the, in the, in the business. If if you look at, I believe that in order to be a true superstar and a true success, you have to have built guys to be stars. And there's exactly one guy that was better for facing John Cena. And that's and that's Daniel Bryan, and his career lasted what, basically eight year, eight more months after he faced John Cena. But that's not, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, I love John Cena. I hate. That I love. I love John Cena for what it, my kid has wrapped himself in a Doctor Who blanket. I can't concentrate. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. He's giggling and laughing. Oh, anyway, I think John Cena, for what he has been, is an incredible wrestler who has not had that star-making ability. I think John Cena has put on the five-star matches. He's done the character work he's done things that we require of a star but he has never been able to take that underlying talent and make them a star where you look at guys like flair he had steamboat he had sting he had luger he had um All these guys that he elevated. Hogan had Savage. You know, he had um, Bundy, for Christ's sake, was a a superstar at one point. He elevated Roddy Piper. You had Savage, who elevated Steamboat, who elevated Jake Roberts, who elevated multiple guys. We never got that out of Cena. Cena, for as great as he was in the ring, for the five-star performances, for the the um, matches he put on, was never able to elevate those guys. Owens didn't come out better. Punk didn't come out better. Uh, Ambrose didn't come out better. Name it on and on and again. None of them came out better than they were when they went into face Cena. Like they did, like so many others in the past came out to look better when they faced Flair, Steamboat, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Austin, and so on. And even the guys that did come out better still came out as clearly behind Cena, like Batista and Randy Orton. You know, they, they clearly True. they clearly, you know, we're still um, sucking Cena's wind. 
That's true. Randy Orton is a prime example of that because Randy Orton got his love and got his um, greatness because of Cena. If it hadn't been for Cena, Randy Orton probably would never have gotten to that echelon that he had gotten to beforehand. But because of uh, of Cena and Cena challenging him and saying, Orton, you got your chance. Or I'm sorry, not Orton. Edge, you got your chance. Batista, you got your chance. Now it's Randy Orton's turn. Orton never probably would have gotten to that echelon. But afterwards, you're right. He he did not come out looking better than Cena. After Randy, what? Randy Orton, Randy Orton, I think, would be a fascinating wrestler to have a career retrospective on. And I think we should do it. I know, you know we talked about. Yeah, we've been doing the ECW series. We did the. We've been talking about the Ring of Honor, but. <laughs> With Marty Booking, I can't dump that. So we got it for another year. <laughs> so yeah, I'm having so much fun covering those shows, though. 2011 was a great year for Ring of Honor. God, it was. And now they're adding shows from before that. So. Did they? <laughs> well, How I don't think they not? have yet, but I don't know if they have yet, but they announced that they're going to. Well, they better, because there's some I want to see. But I think, I honestly think we should do a retro of that. I really do. We we haven't done a um, island series in a while. I think we should do it. Yeah, we tried Hurricane Helms, and it didn't work out very well. But no, because that. all the matches are great. There's nothing that I want to see better than all of them. <laughs> and it, seriously, that's we we tried Hurricane Helms. We tried um, Sean Marley. I can't. Didn't we? I thought we did. Maybe I did. It's a possibility. I did on my own. Regardless, I think uh, think Randy Orton would would be a good character to look at, though. And I still really want to do the the both sets of the uh, three Musketeers in in, in JPW as well. You know what I would like. I think that'd be nice. You know, I would like to watch and just do a retro on that. On WWE Network, there's this thing called uh, the Randy Randy Orton Retrospective, which is only his greatest uh, WrestleMania matches. I I would love to watch that, do a show on that, and just see if we agree, disagree, greatest matches or not, and why. Okay, well, let's let's at least take care of Best in the World before we do that. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind popping into that. Okay, sounds good. Best in the World. Um, tr- actually, next week, Best in the World works for me if it does for you. Um, I can probably swing that. Guys, we have a Patreon show next week. <laughs> um. But for next week's Kingdom of Honor, I think we're going to talk. We're going to talk about at least day one of Indie of Indie Mania, right? Yeah. Okay. Remind me. I just did. Remind me again tomorrow. Okay. Um, and guys, you know, like I said, you know, before Jeff rolls into where you can listen to us, um, 
other, you know, how else you can listen to us. You know, I just want to, again, stress, um, do what you can to support the indie wrestlers right now. You know, buy their T-shirts, buy the Indie Mania T-shirt, go to go to the GoFundMe and, and donate there if you want to, if you want to do that. But these, these wrestling companies and these wrestlers in general need our support right now when they can't actually work and support themselves. And it's not, not just for that. Um, a lot of independent wrestlers have given up. I don't want to say given up. Um, they don't do day jobs anymore. They are solely committed to their craft. So they are working from literal paycheck to paycheck. They get a paycheck at this indie wrestler. They get a paycheck at this indie promoter and that indie promoter. They are literally living paycheck to paycheck. That is for their travel, food, lodging, everything in between. So supporting an indie wrestler is not just supporting a guy who is like, hey, it's my second job. I'm going to do this. You're supporting a guy and his livelihood. So if you can support an indie wrestler by buying a T-shirt, do it. Plain and simple, do it. Absolutely. And you guys, speaking of indie wrestlers or indie wrestlers talkers or, you know, those of us that need money, uh, (laughs) patreon.com. Support us at patreon.com slash kingdom of honor. You can support the little guy talking in the background. He needs to watch TV because it's way past his bedtime, but he doesn't know that yet. So you can support him because he's cute. Um, Patreon.com slash Kingdom of Honor. We put up all of our archive shows. And next week, maybe two weeks, we're going to talk about this. But we're going to start up our Patreon shows again this week or this month. The month of April we've given for free. So if you sign up now through the end of April, you get all of our archive shows. And that goes back to 2015 for free. And we have a lot of exclusive shows. You can also get that way for free. Um, also, check us out on YouTube. So how, much they, uh, how much do they pay for that free? It, I'm guessing for free. So that'd be nothing. Nothing, is nothing, nothing. Zero, zero pennies, zero pesos, zero euros. It's for free. Um, anyway, uh, YouTube, youtube.com. It just go there, search Kingdom of Honor. You can find our uh, live shows that we do two <laughs> times a week. And I'm getting a daddy chant from the living room. You hear that? Daddy Arlo, daddy Arlo. <laughs> He does not want to watch whatever's on TV, and I will get there in a second. But before I do that, youtube.com slash Kingdom of Honor. Search for Kingdom of Honor. You can find all of our stuff there. We do it two times a week live, 
And soon, very soon, <laughs> we are going to... <laughs> I'm sorry, getting the daddy chant from the living room again. Uh, soon, we're going to start doing the uh, uh, Patreon exclusive... Or, I'm sorry, YouTube, YouTube exclusive shows again. We're doing Lock of Key. I haven't gotten there yet, but we're going to do it. And then, of course, our, our Twitter. I'm at Rigicoab. He is at Zanman L-O-P. Use hashtag D-A-D and hashtag K-O-H. You can find us everywhere. And like I mentioned earlier, next week's Kingdom of Honor, we are going to be covering Hello. day one of Indie Mania. Um, has some strong matches on there. I've already watched most of it already. Um, and it's on the WrestleTalk um, subscribe. It's on the WrestleTalk YouTube channel. So you know, subscribe to that channel. Um, they got some great news articles on there. They're doing some great stuff for indie wrestlers right now. Support them, you know, how you can, and and watch their stuff and watch these watch this show in particular. It's free on YouTube. But again, you know, donate what you can to help these guys out, to help the organizations, to help the wrestlers. Um, you know, to, to help these guys who give you so much entertainment now and in the future, like Jeff said, keep making a living to support them themselves and their families. So we'll be back with you next week with the Kingdom Honor with that. Tomorrow night we'll be with you with Dynamite After Dark as we get the highly anticipated rematch between Cody Rhodes and Sean Spears. And in the first round of the TNT title tournament, and then on Thursday, our buddy Imp will be there with M Celopy Radio Adventure. On Friday, will be more of Miss Fan's um, mystery bag. And then, and but you know, for now, that's all we've got. We'll try to do better next time. This is Shane saying long days, pleasant nights, and Jeff saying. Well, for Shane, I'm saying thankfully, goodbye. G1 Climax 27. Goodbye. And good night. At First Commonwealth Bank, we understand that many of today's businesses are facing uncertain times. And that means there's no more important time for having the right financial partner behind you. A partner with the resources and experience to help take care of your business. An SBA preferred lender who can see what others may not and do what others cannot. If you're ready to talk with a financial partner who can help your business today and into the future, there's no better time to talk with us. First Commonwealth Bank, member FDIC. At First Commonwealth Bank, we understand that many of today's businesses are facing uncertain times. And that means there's no more important time for having the right financial partner behind you. A partner with the resources and experience to help take care of your business. An SBA preferred lender who can see what others may not and do what others cannot. If you're ready to talk with a financial partner who can help your business today and into the future, there's no better time to talk with us. First Commonwealth Bank, member FDIC.